From its deep philosophical roots to its intricate sci-fi storytelling, The Matrix has become one of the biggest cultural touchstones of the last 30 years, breaking the mold technologically, stylistically, and thematically. The Wachowskis created a film that has been pervading all of pop culture as we know it. At the time, many producers feared the movie was unfilmable due to its extremely unique visual palette and its tendency to delve into esoteric philosophical ideas, which made the story hard to imagine, which is exactly what set it apart. The Matrix eventually went on to win all four of the Oscars it was nominated for, the most ever for a film that was not also nominated for Best Picture, and it dawned a new era in cinema. So today, we're going to see how deep does this rabbit hole go as we plug into one of the most referenced films of all time as we ask ourselves, The Matrix, what's it about? I'm your host, Ricardo Blade Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow, And this is the What's It About Film Contest, the show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it all reflects in our own lives. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm, I am swell. You're swell. I, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I've, if I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I've been dreading this conversation. Why? Not in a negative. I, I guess there's no way to. You don't want to talk really, about me. You don't want to talk. Not, you want to talk to me. I yeah. want to talk to you. Am I want to talk friend? with you. It's 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 this movie. It's uh-huh. this movie is going to be hard to talk about uh, in a philosophical from our lives perspective. I'm scared we're just going to dilute into talking about nothing. You know me. Mm. I ramble. I mm. ramble. It took me all week week to watch this movie because I just have been, I I I just know this is going to be one that's going to be for the books and but it's good you know you put your head down and you you fight through it and you come out on the other side maybe we'll maybe we will glean something uh, that we can uh, learn from. I well, guess. you know, I, when I so. <laughs> This movie just was uh, uh, picked on a whim, basically, because I, I caught I was caught off guard because I'd forgotten it was my turn to pick, and this movie came to my mind. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. It, no. I would consider it to be one of my. I'm not hating most, on the movie. No, no, I know. Uh, it, it was on my mind, and it always is on my mind because it's one of those movies that I very clearly remember being a formative film, an influential film for me. I saw it in theaters when I was. <laughs> because uh, I had a, a, a friend's dad bring us to the movie theater to see it. And we were little. We were way too young to see this movie. But I yeah. very clearly remember going to see it with them and being like, what did I just watch? But it was fun. Like, it was yeah. great. Like, it, it, if nothing else, this, thing, this movie is a fantastic action movie. So even if you're not getting, like, a lot of the deeper philosophical stuff going on, like, it's still – very entertaining to watch. I agree. It is one of my favorite films as well. It was the first rated R movie I ever saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with our podcast, right. we're asking, what's it about? Right. And this is, it doesn't get any more close to the nucleus of reality mm-hmm. than this film. So, so and, and just to finish like the story here. Uh, so then I remember very clearly my da- the day my dad brought this movie home and the way he described it to me was, uh, and the, one of the reasons why we made this podcast is my way my dad talks about movies and stuff like that. Uh, he's like, Hey, I, I just bought this movie about a guy that lives in a video game. <laughs> I was like, Oh, cool. 
And then yeah, it was yeah. Matrix, and I was like, Dad, I've seen this. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so I, I totally agreed with you. So before I watched the movie, I was worried about something very similar, where we might get a little too esoteric, might get a little bit too, like, nature of reality, philosophy type stuff. Uh, but then I watched the movie, and I personally think I found a much more personal, like, relatable theme within this film. Well, yes, yeah. the, the themes are very much like nature nature of existence and what is reality and are we in a simulation? And, like, you know, like, this whole film is based on the philosophies and theories of of a whole book about simulation and symbology and what yeah. in reality – uh, existential themes well, and, yeah, and so and they're unavoidable connect, and connection to religions right you know like buddhism definitely christianity mythology in here too mm-hmm. like there's just a lot to unpack yes it's 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 unavoidable when talking about what is the yeah. matrix about to get into those themes. but for me i was very surprised when i reached out to this movie because i was like i found a much more personal relatable human thematic underneath all yeah. that well that stuff is is definitely very on the surface, I think the, the Wachowskis really wanted to explore that. But character-wise, I think there is something that is that we can pull out as as ourselves, and we'll get yeah. into that in a little bit. Um, but first, let's talk about how this film came to be. Um, so, the uh, film is written and directed by the Wachowski siblings, uh, Lily and Lana. You guys would know the Wachowskis from writing and directing the entire. Matrix franchise, Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, Matrix Resurrections. I believe Lana was the only one that directed that. They came back for like the last one. They also did Jupiter Ascending, Cloud Atlas, Speed Racer, and they wrote V for Vendetta, but they did not direct V for Vendetta. Uh, and again, those are all films they wrote and directed. Um, wow. But uh, yeah, some amazing uh, films, and so they, you know, a lot of people would say their track record is pretty hit or miss. You know, things like Jupiter Ascending. So different people have different opinions on Cloud Atlas. V, I love V for Vendetta. Um, yeah, I, I, that's a. I mean, at this point, a classic. Yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, so this film in particular, uh, it they brought a script for their film Assassins, which they, is the first film they had produced that they had written to Warner Brothers. Um, along with that, Warner Brothers purchased the rights to Assassins along with two more of the Wachowskis scripts, uh, the movie Bound and The Matrix. Uh, eventually, uh, the Wachowskis would go on to direct Bound, which would be their directorial debut, and it was a success and a critical success and a financial success. Uh, so they convinced Warner Brothers to let them direct The Matrix next. Now, The Matrix, even though it's the third film that they had produced, was the first script they had written was written way before any of these scripts and went through 14, at least 14 different drafts. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of producers, like I said in the in the uh, opening intro, didn't think that this film could be made because it was, at the time, so radically different and complicated in comparison to its contemporaries of the time. Um, thematically and visually, it was hard to imagine. And yeah. explain. So the Wachowskis uh, commissioned and hired uh, professional illustrators Steve Scross uh, and Jeffrey Darrow. Uh, I hope I'm saying those names right. Uh, who were uh, 
prolific illustrators at the time, uh, and they created 600 storyboards to illustrate the, the visuals of this film for Warner Brothers. And after that, Warner Brothers thought, absolutely, we're on board. Uh, they shot this film in Australia, so they could shoot it for $60 million, uh, shoot it on the cheap. Uh, because if they tried to shoot in the U.S., it would have cost like over $120 million. Wow. So they definitely saved a lot of money on this movie. Um, so all the city shots are Australia. Yeah, they're all they're all, they're all Australia. They had to like this is kind of a dig at the United States, but they were uh, they were saying that for this production, for like the a lot of the exterior like grimy city parts, like where they yeah. like are in like places that don't look very good, they had a lot of trouble finding those locations in Australia. Because Australia oh. is apparently just so clean and wonderful. There's no ghetto in Australia. <laughs> that's not what they said but like they did say they had a lot of trouble finding some of those like more american ghetto looking type areas well i know they're supposed to be in chicago when they visit the oracle right so, they, they even say something about like wabash and lake yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i i always thought that was new york that was the first time i noticed that yeah it it it, it uh they never say exactly what city they're actually in so technically yeah. they're in what they call and you can see this on his passport, on, on Neo's passport, and in his file. He's technically they're technically in a, a place called Capital City. Oh, okay. So that's okay. like the official name of the city is Capital City, which is kind of like a, a almost like a funny like computer simulation joke. It's just like, oh yeah, they're they're in the, the they're in Capital City. It's just like so like yeah. generic. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is interesting. Um, but uh, what. What was really I thought was really cool. And this is and this is the last uh, like little uh, background I'll give before we can start talking about different stuff. Uh, the Wachowskis made their entire cast read the the book Simulacra and Simulation by John Baudelaire, uh, which examines the relationship between reality, symbols, society, in particular the significance of symbolism and culture and media involved in constructing and understanding a shared experience. So they all had to read this before they were even allowed to read the script um, before shooting. So I, and, and the book actually makes an appearance in the movie when uh, Neo is in his apartment and he's pulling and he's pulling stuff out of that book, like little discs gotcha. and stuff like that. It's, it's, that's actually that book. And it's in the chapter on nihilism, which is obviously the uh, life is devoid of meaning kind of philosophy. Yeah. Um, so, Obviously, this film super philosophical in lots of different ways. Uh, oh, and lastly, sorry, this is the third film that we're talking about that has been chosen for uh, preservation by the National Film Society. So, mm-hmm. this this uh, was picked by the Library of Congress uh, for the National Film Registry in 2012, um, and the other two films that we did were Dark Knight and Lord of the Rings. So, I mean, as far as cultural significance goes, it's right yeah, up there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. I think this film is a masterpiece. Like, uh, if I, I I tried to watch it this time without the knowledge or without or I tried to remove the other movies from mm-hmm. my mind and just watch this film. And I think it's perfect. It's phenomenal. If, yeah. If if there's no other movies, it's perfect. Uh, I I I you know the other movies are fun. But they do not have the artistic integrity that this film has. Even the special effects hold up. There's only like, there's only like two shots in the whole film that I'm like, oh, that looks a little dated. 
but everything else, like, I don't care that it's wires. I don't care that, you know, like the lack of, there's so little CGI, truthfully, that it's like the CGI that is there looks stylized and uh, intentional, you know? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't like all the bullet time stuff. I like that. I like mm-hmm. watching the bullet time stuff. Uh, the only, the only two shots are both Trinity shots. And uh, it's when she jumps through the window, like, yeah, like that, the, like yeah, the, yeah. The bullet. Or it's like her jumping uh, in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then whenever she, she slaps up against the window, uh, whenever she helicopter. jumps out of the helicopter, yeah, it kind of looks like she's like up against like a tin foil, a little bit. <laughs> but everything else is like, I, I like special effects wise. I mean, and then, you know. I think the ending, the last shot where Neo flies, is all you need. You don't need anything else ever. I I agree with you. Like this idea of like the movie ends with this movie ends with Neo call basically calling the the Matrix. You know, he's calling the robots yeah. and he's telling them, "Hey, I'm free now, and I am going to spend the rest of my life freeing whoever wants to be free." Yeah. Like, and I think that's honestly, you're right. That is a good conclusion. Like we don't need an explanation of anything. Like the, these machines built this world to, to house the minds of, of humans so they could then zap, sap the energy out of them. Okay. That's all I need. You know, I don't yeah. need an explanation of everything like that. You did what you did. You know, yeah. and we get a lot of backstory about like we tried to we tried to do it one way, and you humans wouldn't accept it. You know, so we yeah. had to so we had to create a different way. And like this film, I was very surprised about how much exposition this film uses, but how fascinating and interesting it is. Yeah. Because the difference between like some people will say exposition is really bad, right? Like the whole thing about like writing scripts is like you don't want to give exposition. Exposition yeah. is considered lazy, right? Um, however. Exposition is only lazy when you're delivering exposition that the characters know that that the audience doesn't. Then it's yeah. then it's bad. But the great thing about Neo is Neo don't know shit about anything yeah. that's going yeah. on. So then when they're talking to Neo, he, we're also learning and he's yeah. learning at the same time as us. So like it it works and not only that, it's bizarre and interesting. It's like fascinating. And- Everything they're talking about is fascinating. And believable. Yes. Like, like you could see this happening. Mm-hmm. And if you, at the time period, especially like 1999. Y2K was right around the like, corner. Yeah. yeah. And like, we're just starting to like access the internet and like, you know, there's the thought, like, what if the machines do take over? And there's still that thought. I mean, this movie holds up philosophically too, you know? Yeah. I was thinking about this today right before we were talking, like, I think even, I think even the landline stuff, like, actually makes sense now, Mm -hmm. in terms of like, like, you know, the new movies, or whatever, like, Resurrections, they have like, Wi Fi access to Mm -hmm. the Matrix. But it's kind of cool to think like, oh, crap, in order to get out of the Matrix, these people have to find a phone. The landline. Yeah. In our current day and age. No, that would, I think that'd be cool, too. Yeah, like there are like, only so many ways in and out, yeah. and the machines are working to get rid of them. It's like you're gonna have to get across the city to a phone that is still working mm-hmm. in a place where phones don't. You know, like I think that's neat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, 
it's uh it's, it's like i said i thought I, I think the ending the ending is all we need mm-hmm. and it, we we know how limitless neo is by being able to see him fly i mean he just jumped in a person you know and blew him up like we don't need smith to come back we don't need any of that like like the because it's just derivative of itself at that point and oh man this last movie this resurrections no, no. It, honestly I was worried I would have trouble like separating this movie from the others. Um, I don't mind Reloaded as much. I think Reloaded's okay. Like it's it's entertaining enough, but philosophically, it's way more convoluted, but not as interesting. Yeah. Um, I, it Re- just feels like more exposition. Yeah, Revolution sucks. I don't like yeah. it at all. And Resurrections, uh, Weird. yeah, it just wasn't. It was. It I felt don't really... it, it felt not like like not part of the of it. It felt like its own yeah. thing, and I didn't like it very much. But anyway, it, it, we could we could gush and, and talk about the yeah. the the filmmaking <laughs> and, and analysis, uh, or as far as like critique of these films. But that's not what we're here to do. Yes, yes, <laughs> we're here to ask the question: What's it about, Seth? What is? What it about? do you think it's about? I think it's about belief. I think it's about what you believe in and how that drives you. And sometimes you need other people to believe in you for your beliefs to be realized. I think that's what I'm going with. If we're not going to get, I tried to watch it from a broader lens. I tried to not, or uh, I guess I'm more minute for me. I'm more minute lens. Uh, well, I think we can we can definitely touch on some of the more philosophical, like existential themes, yeah. but as they relate to kind of what we're we're talking about, you know what I mean? What yeah, like yeah. we're feeling? Because um, you know, how many times has this movie been discussed and analyzed and this and that? Yeah. Like, we're not going to say anything profound about the 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 state of existence and and all that stuff because like we're not existentialist. Well, I mean, we, but that's the thing is we kind of are though, Ricky, like the whole point of this, there is no podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there is, there is no podcast. There is no podcast. There is no uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah. I would say this movie is about the power of belief. That's mm-hmm. my, my one line statement. Okay. Uh, what, where in the film do you see that kind of the most? Between Tr- Trinity and Neo. So, mm-hmm. like, like Neo believes in. So Neo starts to believe the Oracle, right? But he believes that he's not the one because the Oracle told him he was, okay, or he wasn't rather. Mm-hmm. So Neo starts to see the Oracle stuff coming true, and so he starts buying in, you know. But that means that he has to die. Right, which allows him to like fully let go, essentially, of life. But Trinity believes that he is the one, and the Oracle told her that she would love the one. Right? So it's like this weird, like, inverse of itself, in that Trinity believes that he is the one, and Neo has to completely let go of his human existence to become the one. So 
he he's still driven by belief because he wants to save Morpheus and he believes that he can save Morpheus and he has to die, you know? So like, I think, and it's, it is Trinity believing in him that kind of like closes the loop, mm-hmm. right? Like, like sometimes we need other people to show us or help help to like bring to light what we actually believe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's a really interesting uh, perspective because you know we we open the film with Neo in front of his computer and he's searching for for Morpheus, right? He's he's trying to find Morpheus in this in at least in the world that Neo thinks he's in. Morpheus is this infamous hacker terrorist, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, and Neo being a hacker himself feels like Morpheus has answers to something that he doesn't quite understand. Um, and so it's interesting that Neo feels disconnected from the world around him. Yeah. You know, he, he, you know, even, even in the way he dresses, it's very like ill fitting. I uh, like his suit doesn't quite fit him very, very well. Yeah. Um, and so there is this idea of like, Neo does not f- fit this world. Um, and nobody seems to, he doesn't seem like he has a support system at all. Right. You know, he's he's he works at this this software company by day. He's a he's a world hacker by night, worldwide hacker by night. He hangs out on Reddit at night. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because the Smith comes in. He's like, you're basically guilty of every internet crime that we have a law for. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, I don't know how many of those laws existed in 1999. Um, right. but like, basically, it's like, dude, like you are legit, like, uh, a, a like a legal hacker like yeah, yeah, like yeah. as legit as any anybody can be um and so it's so interesting that neo is is so disconnected from everybody and it's not until the real world comes for him that he actually is legitimately connected to anything morpheus being for me morpheus being the first one you know more yeah. and you talk about belief morpheus believes so unflinchingly so infallibly that neo is the one yeah, which is weird because Morpheus has been wrong before. You yeah. know, he's went and found other people he thought were the one, and he's been wrong. So, like, why? Why is he so sure about Neo in particular? It was always interesting to me. But he is, yeah. or is he? You know, is he or is he or is he just so desperate that, that he's like forcing his belief? You know what I mean? Like, is he unwilling to let go of the fact that he might be wrong again? I mean. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think, like, if, like, I, is he trying to will this into existence by choosing, yeah, refusing mean, to to acknowledge that even though Neo said the Oracle said he's not the one, he does not believe that. I, I, he, yeah, it's it's like he is the zealot, right? He's, like, yeah. he he's is the, the fanatic. That, he is the fanatic. He believes more than anybody, and. Uh, I mean, it's just like, it reminds me of like certain religious people I know and like, they just double down, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, like, okay, if this isn't going the way I expect it, there's a reason and I have to double down Mm -hmm. and just continue to stay focused on what I believe is the truth. Mm -hmm. And he's so, he's basically just one track minded, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, Morpheus is the saint, right? Like Morpheus is the the one that uh, we, we wouldn't believe it without Morpheus. Morpheus right? is kind of like if you want to look at this biblically, Morpheus is kind of like the Moses. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. leading. He's leading the people right to to yeah. the promised land. Um. So and he's bringing the the commandments of like this is the world this yeah. is what the belief system is, you know I I always really connected with Morpheus in that way of like this just blind faith right and yeah. like and like you just got to take like God is talking to me God's telling me what to do like you guys just got to believe me you know yeah. um, which makes the oracle all the more interesting because the oracle is the one passing down this information which kind of makes the oracle God in a way yeah. Which is weird because well, the Oracle isn't God in her in their world, but right. it, in the real in the world of real people, like the Oracle is the thing passing all this information along. Well, that's the way, that's like the one thing I would say that Reloaded helps with. Mm-hmm. Elaborating like, on the Oracle's role, yeah, because like basically she is a, she's part of the Matrix, so mm-hmm. why why trust her? Mm-hmm. You know. But what what the Reloaded kind of like reinforces is that this program in the Matrix has realized that humans and machines need each other, mm-hmm. and so with so she has become a rogue program mm-hmm. that is helping to free humans. So because they need they need humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, yeah. Uh, it is weird. It is weird that you're just getting this information, but I think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. I, I, I like that interpretation of like belief because it, it's very, it's very close to what mine is, but I think maybe mine is taking my idea is, or the way I felt about this film is taking maybe a little bit more of a, um, I wouldn't say concrete, but like maybe just a more, specific look at belief in particular like what belief in what exactly um and for me it was about purpose and limit limit specifically human limitations yeah or or our belief of what our limitations are yeah so so like we were talking about that first scene in the movie that we see neo not that we see trinity which is an awesome opening scene by the way so freaking great i mean oh yeah oh my god um and uh, we see Neo. He's asleep at his computer. His computer. We see a, a a word on the display, and the word is searching. Yeah. Neo is is searching. He feels like we said disconnected from this world. He feels like he's adrift in his life. He doesn't feel like he fits in here. He is searching for something, an answer yes. to what is his purpose. What is what is everything what what is this about what's going on here um and there's so many uh allusions to alice in wonderland here right um yeah. this idea of going into a a dream world in a way to learn a lesson what's yeah. cool is it's like the inverse here where it's neil has to come out of the dream world to learn the lesson yeah um and i just thought that um it's 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 all about Neo realizing his his what his actual limitations are and that the fact that his he's limitless. Yeah. 
And I think it's about humans learning how much they can possibly be capable of. Yes. Which I think is a really interesting personal message of like, you only believe that's, that's there and something, a limit is there until you're able to see through it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I think that is what we're, I think that's the same thing. Yeah, it is the same, the same thing. thing. That's what I'm saying. I think I boiled it down to a more specific belief. Uh, but I think overall, I think you're absolutely right. It's like, what do, what do you believe in? Can you believe in yourself? Right. Well, do you believe that, man, okay, there's just no way we're not going to be able to not do this. I said, don't <laughs> worry about it. We'll find a way to circle back. Well, it's like, so I've had, so like this movie, when I, clearly if, if you, if you're a thinker, you're going to get lost in the message of this film. And also, like, if you're, you know, raised spiritually or religiously, you're, you're going to also draw parallels to your own personal experience and what you believe. So, me, you know, if you think about it, this is kind of a theory that kind of sprung out of this movie for me growing up, is that you can't, honestly, there's, there's like nothing you can't do anything without the belief you can do it like you can't do anything without the faith that you can't accomplish it Mm. like you can't it's weird it's like like i'm gonna try to do this thought experiment but it's like you if you were you 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 so intrinsically believe you can reach out and grab a cup Mm. right If you did not believe that, you would not be able to, I don't believe you would be able to grab the cup because you could not send the signals to your brain. Now, if we like break that down, so like what if you have like Lou Gehrig's disease or Parkinson's disease, right? Like you used to be able to reach out and grab the cup, right? Mm -hmm. But you no longer can because of physical limitations, Mm -hmm. right? So, it see like so like the the, the code has changed, mm-hmm. right? So how you might still be able to grab the cup, mm-hmm. but it might not be you grabbing the cup. It might be somebody else bringing you the cup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I think what's interesting, I think to go along with that, I think something that um, is something to think about because, like, Neo can't just do anything he wants. Like, yeah. he is still bound by certain rules. Like, you you know, you see him interacting in the Matrix, he still follows certain rules. Like, like when Neo gets hit with something, it hurts him. <laughs> he's, he's tougher now. But it hurts. Like, when you see like – in the second movie, we see him get hit, get hit in the hand with a blade, and he does bleed. So he does yeah. still have to follow rules. He's not immortal. Right. And he doesn't just let himself get shot by bullets, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. that would still hurt and probably kill him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that like I don't want to I don't want it to make it seem like you can do anything if you put your mind to it type of stuff. Because I know that's a platitude that is very rosy and optimistic, yeah. but not necessarily fair or true. And you and, and a lot of people might be like, there's some things that you can't do. And that, right. I, I definitely agree with you. There are 
no matter what you go, there are limitations. However, the limitations that you think you have aren't always real. You think yes. that you know where the boundaries of your limitations are, but some of those are illusions. Well, okay. The best one of the best lines, and I think it, it fits in here that I heard this time that I'd never heard before is there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Right. Mm-hmm. So like my life in particular is like, I'm constantly looking for the meaning, you know, and I'm trying to like make the meaning happen and, uh, make choices that lead to meaning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back on it, the meaning has was there and I just had to like glean it later. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? So I think, okay, so I, I got to boil it down a little more in my own personal experience in that like we all feel this thing, mm-hmm. right? Like I think we all kind of feel this like, wait, something's not right about this existence. You know, like from a human perspective, we agree with Neo, right? Like there's something about this experience that is in insanely frustrating for some reason. And like, why can I fly in my dreams, but I can't fly in reality? Mm. You know, like we have this ability to know what it feels like to fly. I mean, have you ever flown in your dreams? Mm -hmm. Like I know exactly what it feels like to fly. And I have never done that, you know? Mm. And so I think, I think there is something about the human spirit that is beyond this existence. I hope, you know, Mm. like we, we have to hope so, or, you know, you don't, but like I do. And what the way I've seen how like my choices, like the choice, the desire for meaning and the desire for certain dreams and things like, you know, you, you watch this movie as a kid and you're like, I can do anything. You know what I mean? Like if like, I believe it enough, I can do anything. And that's what Christian culture also teaches you growing up is like, you know, if you just have enough faith, if you have enough faith, you can get there, you can do the thing, you can do whatever you set your mind to. And, uh, and the way I, it's kind of played out for me is you do, you do get what, you want, but it never plays out the way you thought it would. Mm-hmm. It's like the code changes to fit to fit you, but you don't. You it's not it's not what it's mm-hmm. like a compromise. You know, it's yeah. like a it's you're you're bending, not mm-hmm. the code. I guess it's so interesting because I. I we both grew up in the, in a Christian Catholic faith of sorts. Uh, you're not you're not Catholic, but you were no. I was Christian. Protestant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was Catholic. Uh, so we both grew up with under the Christian umbrella. Um, uh, you know, I went to Catholic school from <coughs> pre-K all the way up through eighth grade. Um, yeah. And for me, my life has been a lot about me wanting stuff, me praying, and me believing me. Maybe hmm, me really, really wanting something, but not being able to, to get it. Yeah. It's been a lot of, of, of my life has been like, and so it's this, this idea of 
belief, right? If you believe in it enough, you can get it. And so for me, it's been a lot about, no, like that's not true. You know, like you, if you believe in something, you want something enough and you, you, you try and work for it. Sometimes you still don't get it because of other things. Like for me in particular, I think about an experience I had when I was in high school. Um, I was a athlete. I was a baseball player. Um, I was a pretty good baseball player. Like I was sure I was not the fastest player. Like I was always a little bit chubby, but I was a really good hitter and I played outfield really, really well. Um, my freshman year, I went from the Catholic private school in town to the public high school. So bigger, bigger group of kids, kids from the public school in town and things like that. Tried out for the baseball team freshman year, just barely made it just barely. And not because I wasn't good enough, just this is what it was. A lot of the kids from my school just barely made it on the team. Um, but I was not going to get an opportunity to play very much. Like that was just mm-hmm. a decision that had been made. Like you're not, you're not the type of player that gets to play. Even though I was objectively one of the best hitters on the team. Like yeah. put me in the lineup as a designated hitter and I would be fine. You know, like if that's all you wanted from me. I had to, with the help of my father, and this is a this is very much a privileged thing. So I hope I don't upset anybody with this. Um, in in high school sports, you have to like do like fundraisers for the team and things like that. Yeah, and we were we were selling like tickets to a like a a, a golf course thing, like these passes to this golf course. Um, my dad and my mom helped me sell mine, um, which was very nice of them. Um, and, but a bunch of other people on the team didn't get all their sold. And I knew I was not going to get a chance to play. Like the coach made it very clear that you're not going to be playing very much. And so me being the bold person I am, I was like, coach, I bet I, if I sell the rest of the, the, the remaining golf passes, I get to start the first 10 games of the season. Uh, and I was like, that was a pretty bold move for me to do. And I didn't think he would say yes. I was just kind of saying it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's like, and he looks at me, he's like, <clears throat> he's like, okay. Like, all right. And so I did. And like I said, this is going to be a moment that people might get upset. Um, my dad's a doctor. So, um, yeah, makes a pretty good living. My dad just bought them all. Yeah. And then sold yeah. them off over time. But like yeah. he purchased them all at once. Yeah. So I could, so I could play those games. Yeah. And I had the best batting average on the team at the end of the year. Like, but here's the thing after those 10 games though, I didn't get to play very much afterwards. Like I got to play a little bit, but like throughout the first 10 games, my very first at bat, I had the very first pitch. I got a hit. (laughs) Like I was a good ball player. I was, but even though I had proven myself my freshman year, like I thought I got my, you know, I believed in myself enough. I with help and with support, I was yeah. able to get the thing that I wanted and then take advantage of that opportunity, right? right? So in my eyes, I'd proven myself. Like I should have that opportunity again, right? Yeah. Sophomore year comes around. I'm on the team. Once again, get get basically get benched, you know? Like no, don't even get really an opportunity to, 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 to play. And at yeah. that point, I started realizing it doesn't – Sometimes it just doesn't matter, man. Like you can prove yourself. You can, you can work hard. You can believe in yourself, but sometimes it's not up to you. 
You know, like right. you said, sometimes the code changes. Sometimes the li- the world around you puts up a, a limit that maybe I just didn't understand how to get around at that time. Well, but so similar experiences you know, throughout the rest of my life of things like that. Me wanting something very, very badly working as hard as I possibly can, but it's not quite being able to achieve it. Well, to get a little, not to push, it's not a pushback per se, well, but to get back. a little, but, but a, uh, an alternative perspective, I guess, of what you're saying mm-hmm. is that what you actually wanted in that time period, mm. you still may get, mm. but like, or you will get it, but you have to figure out what it is you were actually wanting. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't to play baseball. That's fair. So like, I think, I think you're still pursuing the same want mm-hmm. and it could still happen, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not, it's, di- it's different code that you're, mm-hmm. that you're, you've gotten further into the code. That's, Does that make sense? No, that's a good point. So like from a story teller perspective, you know, the, there's the whole thing about like where a character begins their story is they believe they want one thing. Yeah. But that's the lie they're telling themselves, right? They believe they want something, but truthfully, they actually are wanting something else than they don't even yeah. realize. So you're saying that I was in high school and probably still now to this day are still in the – your character thinks they want one thing, but truthfully is looking for something else. But they yeah. just have not come to the revelation yet. I think you wanted recognition. You mm-hmm. wanted admiration. You wanted success. You wanted to be good at something. You know, and though it it doesn't, I don't think it had to be baseball, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, and, uh, so yeah, I, to, that is, I guess a little pushback, like, Mm -hmm. like you you may not be getting, yeah, you, you, you might've been praying and hoping for this one thing, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't actually what you were praying and hoping for. Mm Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, like I have a, I have, you know, you know a lot about my life. Like mm-hmm. that happens to me a lot. Mm-hmm. Like it happens to me so much and it's like almost like cosmically comedic mm-hmm. the way that my life works. Like my life works. I do get up, get what I want usually, mm-hmm. but then it bites me in the ass. Mm-hmm. So like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like I, I, I like, I put myself out there a lot, and mm. then I am, I'm like, oh, like, oh, you, uh, this is not going the way I imagined it would go. Mm-hmm. I mean, this happened to me. I mean, a really perfect example is this week that that's kind of happened to me. Mm. Like, uh, you know, for those of you out there that don't know, I'm an actor. I am pursuing. I have. A degree in theater uh and i haven't really i haven't done any acting really other than like commercial work and like or not even getting commercial work just auditioning for commercial work for the past few years especially since the pandemic and this kind of like invisible barrier of joining uh, actors union actors equity or sag has always been there and i always thought i always thought that i would have to like do something get a job and succeed at something in order to get into the union. And then this past week I find out that they, no, they've just lowered the standards. (laughs) They've lowered the standards and I can join immediately. And so it's like, 
it's like this weird feeling because it's like I've been like all of my hopes that I would accomplish something to get into this union have just gone away and I can just join. And now it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right. Like it feels like I should have to do more. Like I should have, but the truth is, is I'm still, it's still the same. The same goal is still being accomplished. It's just Mm -hmm. not based off my merit. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that feels funny about that. You know? Yeah. I mean, I could tell the, I could also tell the, you know, clown story, you Mm -hmm. know, like, that that story, I mean, the one where you made me dress up as a clown for your birthday. Well, yeah, <laughs> and we got rejected from one of the nicest restaurants in Chicago. Wouldn't let us eat there. Hey, but we ate at a restaurant we would never have eaten at. No, it was great. And we <laughs> ate at a restaurant we had never eaten at, and we had a phenomenal time. Yeah, it was like, fun. But it was I'll really, never forget it that was night. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying, man. It's just like, it's just like you, you. I think you do get everything you want in life. There is some sort of power of belief that you do get what you want or your, you know, or your brain tricks you into believing you get it, mm-hmm. which is like a whole nother layer of dilution. Yeah. But like, you know, you get, you, you, <laughs> you get to hug Heidi Klum, you know, <laughs> like, like, that's not, a, might- that's not like a euphemism guys. That's, that's a legit thing. <laughs> It, it might be it might be the worst hug you've ever received at the worst moment of your life, but you still get to hug Heidi Klum. How do you feel uh, about that now? It's weird. It's so it's super very weird to look back on it. I think the best example of this in like popular culture right now is this whole Will Smith Chris Rock. Yeah. Drama. Like the the I, I think it's so like like cosmically poetic in a weird way how this whole thing went down like in that this is supposed to be will smith's best like like biggest moment of his life and it's literally the worst moment of his life and it's strange how that happens Mm -hmm. you know like i mean he's very successful otherwise you know he's had a lot of really lucky good stuff happen to him Mm -hmm. and so he's put this idol up there which is this Oscar. Mm. And even before he gets it, he tarnishes it, which I think is very, I think that's how life works. I think that's how things are. That's how, that's what's real, right? If we're going to talk about what's real in this, that's what makes this existence real is Mm -hmm. that there is this like cost to things. There is this equal exchange of like, you can have what you want, but just so you know, you know, if you're going to get famous, your life is going to be totally different and you're going to, you're never going to be able to have any privacy. And like, there's, yeah, you can go eat anywhere you want. You can go move, you know, you can travel anywhere. Like you have lots of money, but you're also going to feel pretty lonely because you can't really connect with people like you used to. And like, there's all these kind of like ebbs and flows of how this existence works. That's interesting Mm -hmm. yeah it is uh speaking of will smith weirdly enough uh you know uh was originally approached to play neo in this film did you know that oh that's ironic so yeah i I guess i didn't know that will smith was originally they approached will smith first to to play this role and he turned it down to make wild wild west 
Mm, good choice, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he says himself that he thinks he was not mature enough of an actor to really play this role, and that yeah. Keanu just had a, a better grasp of the vibe and the themes of the film than he did at the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but very strangely, that's weird that I picked this movie before the Oscars had happened. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. And now we're talking about it today. Yeah. You, and you, you read the code right. Weird. Well, so that, weird. I, I, I mean, it's like this whole idea of, so like this movie is about the, basically, if you talk about it philosophically, the principles of Buddhism, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's got definitely Christian themes, but Buddhism is at its core. And so it's the art of letting go of this existence, mm-hmm. you know? And like me, a perfect example is, again, this whole actor's equity thing. Like I just let it go. Like I, at that, like I was like, all right, I probably won't ever uh, succeed at this. And if I do, it won't, you know, it's so, it's all luck. Felt like all luck. And so I just had, I, it's not that I had given up. It's just, I stopped caring about getting it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then it's just happening. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think there's, I think that's how you, you have to die to things. Like you, improv is like a physical, this is, this is why I love improv so much is it's a physical representation of this in, in like real time. Mm-hmm. You know, like when we were doing, like when we were, Ricky and I did a lot of improv in Chicago together and that's kind of like the, the basis of our relationship. Um, but like we were misfits, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we were the group that was kind of bad at improv. <laughs> like we were the improvisers that were bad at improv. Right. And we had to, I, I don't think it was that we were bad at improv. I think a lot of us were just like really cerebral and well, so to, 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 to just elaborate on that, we had a group of people who are very strong willed and have very specific views of what is funny or like what is yeah. comedy and who very much push back against the status quo of comedy. Like, yeah. I would say, like, you know, we didn't talk about you feel that way a lot of the time where you, you'll push back against, like, the, a status quo. Yeah. Um, we had Harrison, who very much was similar in that to that. We had Keeling, who was very similar to that, too. Uh, I could play in both worlds. I kind of was, like, on the, you know, a little bit of both. Um, so we, we, we had people in the group who very much rejected, <laughs> like, the mainstream idea of what yeah. is funny. And which, when you get a bunch of people like that in a group together, it gets bizarre real yeah. fast. Yeah. And it's well, not everybody's cup of tea. I guess like another way to say it is that we had a lot of people with set minds, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I, I would even say that you're like that, Ricky. You mm-hmm. know how to play the game a little bit, mm-hmm. but you're also very set in your own mind. Oh, no, yeah. In, in terms of like, you're unbending on yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you're the most Ricky person I've ever met, mm-hmm. you know, like there's nobody more Ricky than Ricky, which I, I admire about you, mm-hmm. but like, because of that, you're, you're also kind of in, I would say that's what 
was the similarity with mm-hmm. you in our group. Oh yeah. And uh, like these people were all very much themselves yeah. to it. I mean, truthfully to an obnoxious point, mm-hmm. like, like, but it, we all, so we kind of, so basically we all kind of came together because we had not had success in the improv community and we just had a good time mm-hmm. and we actually started getting way better yeah. improv because we were just having a good time and we actually won we won a competition yeah. that, in insane Chicago, insane which is, is wild i mean yeah so like that's what i guess that's another example of what i'm talking about like that in in that in that time period for us, but I'm just actually, what I'm actually talking about is improv itself mm-hmm. and watching people on stage do improv and also like the weird crap that happens if you're doing improv a certain way. Like if you can really tap into the moment, truthfully, there's some like eerie stuff that your subconscious picks up on and like, like, you might, you know, call somebody by their middle name and it's actually their middle name, you know, mm. and that you had no idea that their middle name was that, but for some reason you can connect with it, mm. you know, like improv. That's what, what, one of the reasons I loved improv so much is because you do tap into this weird, I don't want to say magic because it's definitely not magic, but it's like a further connection because this is how you're actually supposed to move through the world, right? Like in the moment, real time not worried about social, social, like mm-hmm. constructs, like your human nature and express it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a safe place to do it. And you've all had kind of the agreement that it's you're okay. We're going to follow these rules. So that mm-hmm. way we don't break any of these, like nobody hurts each other or, or anything like that, but it's like a much, a much freer exploration of the human psyche Mm. and spirit even i would say um so like there i i I bring it up because like uh you can you can really see about some of the things we're talking about showing up if somebody's doing really good improv Mm. like there's these two guys tj and dave ricky knows but I mean, watching them on stage do improv for an hour is one of the most entertaining things you can see, and they're not doing anything. They're, like, effortless, you know? And it's because they've let go to the moment entirely, and they have they know how to do that in this space. I mean, there's craft to it, too. Like, over time, they've developed craft, but, like, they're just so comfortable that it's... To the rest of us, it's like watching Neo do mm. crazy flying bullet stopping stuff. You know mm. what I mean? So I, I, I just, I think I bring it up because it's a very good example of how letting go can, can affect your limitations, I would say. Absolutely. And so for just to bring up a, just a question, just one question here to, to kind of bring it back to the film a little bit and, and, and Neo in particular, before we, we start to wrap up, there's a moment in the beginning of the film where Neo is in his, in his office, in the, in the place where he works 
uh, and his boss tells him, you believe you are special, that rules don't apply to you. Every single employee understands they are part of a whole, is what his boss says to him. Yeah. But then, this is what his boss thinks that Neo believes. But then, a little bit later, when Neo is trying to escape from the agents, and Morpheus is trying to lead him out the window to the scaffold so he can escape, Neo gets out the window, and what does he say to himself? He says, who am I? I am nobody. So, this idea of Neo does not believe himself to be anything special. He doesn't believe himself to not to have rules apply to him or anything like that. It, it's more so he just doesn't believe himself to be worth it, anything. Yeah. Which is interesting. So this idea of like, where does that play into this idea of like letting go? Where Neo doesn't, I know there's like, but there's a belief here that Neo doesn't believe that he's capable of anything. Real, of any kind of greatness, even that the fact that he's like a world-renowned hacker, you know, he still doesn't value the, any of that really, as as an accomplishment. So, uh, uh, where so, does that play into this idea of like letting letting go per se? Um, I think it's like uh, there's another concept in Buddhism. Uh, I forget. I'm forgetting the name of it, but basically, it's like we all inherent inherently have a good nature in mm -hmm. us. So it's like, it's like your belief that you're bad, you need to let go of that as well. Mm. So like you are good and bad. You're not just mm. bad, you know? So like you have to let go to the fact that you have inherent worth. Mm. Like you have to let go to the fact that there, I would say like for me, from a Christian perspective, that God can be in you. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, that you, you are connected to something that is making you valuable, that you have value. A, a matrix, as it were? I mean, I don't know if it's a, I mean, <laughs> you can make any, you can say anything is the, a matrix, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just a grouping of numbers. A grouping right? of or, things that, that act under the same rules, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think actually it's bigger than that. So like, Man, I'm a weirdo. Uh, so, it's <laughs> uh, like go. So, that like, <laughs> I think I think in order to, so the, I think the my like thought processes of how this existence works is that it is there has to be something beyond the matrix, right? There has to be something outside of it. Otherwise, it it is a prison, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, and I believe that this is why God is both, like, something you can believe in and also not believe in. Like, there's enough, there's no evidence that he doesn't exist, but there is, like, you can, you can still draw the conclusion that there is a God, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but it has to, but there's no, no real proof. And you have to, you have to go on faith, right? Because if, so think about it like this. If we knew there was a God, this is a prison. Mm -hmm. Because then we know for a fact that it's controlled by this all-powerful being, mm -hmm. right? If we know that there isn't a God, this is a prison. 
because that means we're just bound by own, our own perception until we die. Mm. Right? So it has to be both, I think, in order for free will to even exist, for mm. it not to be another, like a thought, another like thought example would be if you're in heaven, right? There has to be a hole to leave. Because if you can't leave, you're in a prison. Mm. And it's therefore hell. Mm. So, because you would, it's not real. It can't be real unless there is the antithesis of it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Right. One thing doesn't exist without the other. Yeah. 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 It's all, you know, if you want to do physics, it's all relative, right? Everything's yeah. relative. Yeah. You can yeah. only, only, things only exist in comparison to other things. But I think that even, I think the way that like it actually is, is even way beyond that. Like, mm-hmm. like the whole, the whole in human perception is so big that we have no idea. Like we can't even comprehend it right. really. And I mean, that's, I mean, I, I've never done DMT, but like the people that, that have done those kinds of drugs, they talk about like going over that precipice and being just like the crap that is beyond our perception is just insane and like time goes away and that's why like i i've always said i'm never going to do dmt because i i think i'm going to save it i'd rather not i'd I'd rather not skip that far ahead in the book save it for for the end for when you die yeah because it releases in your brain when you die oh i thought you meant you were gonna like oh well like i'm terminally ill time to do dmt no no i i mean like when you when you die, your brain releases DMT. Yes, and I think it's like, I think it's that that is kind of the gateway, if you will. Like it takes you to the perception gateway, mm. you know. So where does uh, Cipher play into all of this? Cipher uh, being someone who has been freed, but wants back in. So if you again, if we're looking at this biblically, Cipher's kind of like a, the Satan character. Not Satan, yeah. sorry. The uh, the Judas. Judas. I would say it's that's nihilism, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Cipher has woken up to all the bullshit, but he still wishes he had the bullshit, which is like not taking the next step of realizing, you know, it's even more like he is still a prisoner to the Matrix, mm-hmm. essentially, because he just, still wants, just from the outside. Yeah, yeah, like. He still, he has not transcended the need for stake. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there is a, a line here. There is a line here that we could argue that, that Mouse says, mm-hmm. you know, to deny our own impulses is to deny, to deny the very thing that makes us human. And I think there is some truth to that. Like, so, I mean, the fact that Cypher wants stake, I think, isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I, w- I would agree with you. Cause, and I don't think anybody else on that ship would disagree that like, yeah. Wanting a steak is not wrong. <laughs> like, right. like for like some of them have never had a steak. There are a few people on the ship that were born in, in Zion who had never been in the matrix. So some of them have no idea what that is like. Yeah. Um, 
you know, a ma- large majority of them on that ship know probably know what steak is supposed to taste like. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's nothing wrong with like wanting a wanting a steak. Like Cypher's not inherently wrong for like want for like feeling nostalgic in a way. But I think making it about the steak, right? Like it's when you. So in so my favorite faction, and I'm I, you know it's been so long since I studied this stuff, but so I might get it wrong. But there is a faction of Tibetan Buddhism that really impacted me when I studied it, and. Uh, and I think it's honestly really influenced the way I kind of move through the world. And so in Tibetan Buddhism, there, this faction, they have, there's like a master Padwan kind of relationship. And it's the master's job to teach the Padwan about everything in life and also like hedonistic things, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so these monks try drugs they have sex with hookers they like experience the world fully i never had sex with a hooker i need to say that (laughs) i I would not i mean okay i guess someone could have drawn that connection i didn't (laughs) i'm just saying like it's you read it into yourself buddy (laughs) well no i'm just saying like like when i say i've modeled my life after these folks i'm not doing those things but just my thought processes uh but what they have to do is now like once they have done these things they have to be able to not do them right so like take it or leave it essentially Mm. um so it's like you need to be able to experience the world because you need to be able to even let go of your own rules, I think, right? Like you have hard lines. If you have hard lines of what you will and will not do, you still have limitations of your own. You're not letting go of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So you and, and that you have to let go of yourself in order to grow as a person. Um, so these monks, they basically undergo very very hard temptation and then after they succumbed they figure out how to mentally not need those things anymore right mm-hmm. and i i personally like i kind of i kind of like didn't started living my life more like that after i learned about that like things i was afraid to do you know like marijuana for example like I was terrified of it and then I tried it. You know what I mean? I don't smoke a lot of weed. I'm not a pothead or anything, but I can take it or leave it. You know what I mean? And I think there's value to that. I think, I think it's part of knowing thyself more mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's da- it can be dangerous. Like I'm not going to go do heroin. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. just, I don't think I have the mental capacity for that, mm-hmm. but like that is the concept I think I think the concept is good, right? Like, mm-hmm. so Cypher is stuck on steak. I mean, it could be anything. It could be heroin. It could be, he's not, he hasn't transcended his desires for that. Mm-hmm. That's what I think about Cypher. Yeah. No, I, to- I totally <laughs> would agree with you on that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's funny because I like that you're bringing in like, 
some of the other characters' philosophies here, like Mouse and things like that. Because Mouse was a character that uh, I think I was interested in because he talked. Like, like here's the thing. There are a couple of characters that may be cooler and more capable than Mouse. Yeah. Like, Apoc and Switch are, like, more capable, quote-unquote, than Mouse. But, like, yeah. Mouse talked, and Mouse had interesting things to say. Whether or not he was right or wrong was always fun, right? And Cypher is the same way. Cypher talked a lot and shared his views on things a lot. And so I want to know Mouse's story. Right. Like, who was Mouse before he was taken was out? He a, of the was he a potential? I don't, you know, I don't think like, so. Like, I don't know. He, he has such like a childlike personality. Yeah. You know? I Oh, you mean like for the Oracle, like the little kids type thing? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, just from the way that I think they kind of allude to the fact that anybody that was a candidate, like that like Morpheus himself had brought out, was no longer living. Yeah. They, they don't say that explicitly, yeah. but they they talk about how they've lost people, how they've anybody that's fought an agent has died. I think that's alluding to the fact that like some of these people who th- who Morpheus thought was the, the the one took on the agent and died. Well, I mean, that reinforces kind of more of like what we we're just saying. Like, if you think you're the one, you have to you're like not, not. You can't be. You're not yeah. the one. Yeah. yeah exactly. Because that's like arrogance. And that's what so makes this movie so great is that everybody's telling Neo that he's like everybody's telling Neo what he is and he isn't, and it's not about what he believes. You know, it, 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 the more he tries to believe that he's the one, the more he fails, right? Like, like when it, the moment where they're doing the, the jump exercise and he's trying to believe as best he can and he, and he fails, right? Yeah. yeah. And we don't ever see him get another chance at that. And yet at the end of the movie, when he's like, when he, we, like you said, the Oracle tells him what he needs to know. The Oracle tells him or the Oracle tells him what he, he needs to hear. Not exactly what he needs to know, but what he needs to hear in order for him to to let go of himself. Yeah. Belief, the word belief is the most difficult word to define that I can is, think of. Belief is so ethereal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, honestly, my whole life has been kind of spent, devoted to figuring out what it means to believe something and uh it's it's strange uh it's strange it's like you have to have the desire for it but then you have to be able to let that desire go Mm -hmm. because like it's i think something is like we're tapping into like okay what does it mean to be human to deny our own impulses Right. To deny our own impulses is to deny the very thing that makes us human. And so like there are some things in this existence that are just beyond this existence. Mm-hmm. Like again, back to like the desire to fly. Like yeah. we all have it. But I I mean, when I was sixteen I saw Superman. I went out in my backyard and just tried i tried i ran and i jumped and belly flopped on the lawn three or four times because i was like i i mean 16 years old that's crazy 
but like that's how much that humans have that in us you know what i mean a capacity for belief yeah mm-hmm. yeah but i think it comes from somewhere else mm-hmm. that belief is real and it is connected to something beyond this perception i think mm. absolutely and for for me what i truthfully take away from this film having watched it now and like really finding the more the more human let the less philosophical, the less existential, which undeniably you can't deny that that's what this film is, is about in a lot of ways. Like, like I think a lot of people listening to this podcast might be like, that's not what this film's about. This film's about these themes. It's like, yes, but underneath it all, we are human and we can only take lessons. Like, sure. You can take away a thought of a thought experiment away from this film and that can like sustain you for forever. I mean, that's what the pop culture has done to this film. Yeah, and I think maybe that's one of the reasons why the the franchise has gotten so convoluted because it's gotten so wrapped up in its own philosophy and and uh, uh, musings, right? It's gotten lost yeah. in the esoteric themes where the first film is truthfully at its really at its core about a character realizing what they're capable of, and it's not that they're capable of infinite things; it's that they're capable of some amazing things. Yeah. And for me, it's like, cause I definitely struggle with the, the ideas of self-worth. I think that's what, yeah. uh, something I, I, you know, I brought up on this, this podcast before and it's definitely something I, I'll, I continue to struggle with, but I have these, these, it's not a self-esteem thing that I think there's a, the difference between self-worth and self-esteem is you can believe that you're good at something yeah. But not believe that you're worth anything, right? Yeah. I believe I have talent in certain areas. I believe that I have good traits. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I think I'm worth much. I I think we relate in this. And I think what I'm trying to do is figure out what about my like I think you have to find to find that worth. You have to find what actually makes you happy. Mm. And I think you and I have spent a lot of time pursuing happiness the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean there's not parts of the things we're doing that will make us happy. But I think, I think we're banging our, a lot of times we end up banging our head against the wall Mm -hmm in pursuit of what we think will make us happy. Well, you know what, Seth? We just have to come to terms with the fact that there is no wall. There is no wall. There is no wall. <laughs> Man, what, real quick, the last thing, and you, I think we have to say this a little bit, is like, I mean, watching this film and then knowing where, where we are on the precipice of our own society, like... And how and with, like with, met, with the metaver that, that with all that. I mean, me and you are having a conversation on Zoom right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, how do I even know that's you? Like, you could be a, a program right now. Yeah, I don't even know if I'm actually yeah. talking to Seth. Yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, this film is prophetic. It's a yeah. prophetic film. Yeah, uh, like it's only we're only getting further and further into a, uh, a simulated reality. I mean, we're about to go face first in this year with with 
like virtual reality and the metaverse and mm-hmm. and I mean and we're so we should probably like eventually watch Resurrections or something. No, I hate that movie. <laughs> I think we should. I I do think it's not not anytime soon. I mean, we can like like Lord of the Rings. We should re like we have plenty of time. Oh, don't uh, even compare the Lord of the Rings franchise to the Matrix franchise. No, that's true. Don't do but, that. I mean, if we are wrapping up, I'm going to I have a much uh, if, if we're wrapping up and we want to know what we're doing next, I have a a, a palate cleanser for us. Okay. Well, we are wrapping up officially <laughs> after you egregiously compared Lord of the Rings to the Matrix franchise. How dare you? Uh, Seth, uh, go ahead and shout yourself out. Where can people find you? What are you What are you involved with right now? Let everybody know real quick where they can. Uh, I mean, right now, not much. Uh, I do have a podcast that I've uh, kind of slacked, slacked on recently because of my own self-worth. Uh, but uh, it's called The Crowcast. Um, uh, it's the and then crowcast is c-r-o-w-e-c-a-s-t one word it's on spotify and apple music and anchor uh mm-hmm. who is our uh business daddy uh, <laughs> <laughs> our, our free hosting platform thank you so much anchor yeah thank you anchor uh and yeah so that's me awesome yeah guys please uh go check out the crowcast so, seth you know if you love the kind of the way that seth talks about stuff on this podcast like the crowcast is pure seth he talks about any, anything and everything that's on his mind. And it's honestly like it's me saying this unbiasedly as a good friend of yours. Um, it's fascinating to hear a lot of the way you think about things and just the way you move through talking to yourself for 20, 25 minutes. That's cool. Thank and you. It's, that it's that motivates me. So yes, please I got to get back on the it. horse. I got to yeah. get back on the horse. Please keep doing it. Cause I'm, I'm listening along. So please, please keep doing it. Cool. Um, and uh, you can find me uh, at Ricardo Blade Diaz on uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok. Uh, I do a lot of parody stuff, like song parodies, things like that. You guys can find me doing that kind of stuff. Uh, that is Ricardo Blade Diaz, R I C A R D O B L A Y D E D I A Z. That is my full name, Ricardo Blade Diaz, all one word. Uh, and you can also find both me and Seth uh, on our Dungeons and Dragons show uh, in our channel, Character Player. Uh, we are getting ready to uh, start a brand new campaign, or we're going to be doing kind of a spin off type of thing. Uh, so please come check it out, see uh, what the new story is going to be like. Uh, for us, we don't even know yet. We have not even started playing, so we have no idea what we're about to get into. It's so get weird. Please, that is at Character Player on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Please come check us out. Uh, and uh, if you want to follow along with the What's It About Film podcast, you can do that. Uh, please watch along with us. Uh, we would love to. And please start you know, in any kind of like uh, way. You can let us know what you guys want us to talk about, what films you want us to do. Uh, get involved with the conversation. We would love to interact with you more uh, if you would like to. So thank you so much for all yeah. those out there who are listening. Speaking of watching along, Seth, let us know what's next, buddy. All right, bro. Uh, we're going to do George of the Jungle. Oh, my God. <laughs> I kid you not. I used to love this movie. Yeah, yeah. Sarah brought it up this week, and I was like, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We watched. Really? Uh, we watched Bedazzled. Oh, <laughs> oh, that movie's terrible. 
Uh, that's how much I was dreading watching The Matrix is we watched the we watched Bedazzled first. Oh God. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna do George of the Jungle because I think it's dumb and we need it after such a heady. Uh, that's true i was looking back at like what we've done recently um like so the last few films that we've done are the batman uh the matrix the batman as good as it gets swiss army man lord of the rings eternal sunshine dark knight big fish uh you know those are all pretty i wouldn't say heady but they're very they're a little bit more grandiose in their yeah they, yeah their themes are a little bit more romantic i would say romantic in a lot of ways or in in the traditional sense of like big Epic. big ideas yeah where like the last like dumb film that we had done was hollywood boulevard which was a lot of fun to talk about it was so, a lot of fun to talk yeah, about don't get me yeah. wrong uh it was a lot of fun to talk about but it was a movie was stupid <laughs> it's it's actually i think i think more in a way more fun to try to draw meaning from something stupid. Well, I agree. And that's, that's that's actually so on the, on what I really yeah. enjoyed. So like one so like of the films we done, Scream, I think was really fun because it was kind of a little bit of both. It was a fun, yeah. fun movie, but it also had some rich, some rich stuff going on in there. Then we had Ice Age, which we weren't sure exactly what we were gonna get out of it, but we ended up having, I think, a really nice conversation. Yeah. It wasn't Well, it was st- more serious than we right. expected. It wasn't it wasn't like a very uh I wouldn't say very deep conversation, but it was like a very nice sentimental conversation, which I think is nice every once in a while. Honestly, one of our best performing uh, episodes is Murder on the Orient Express, which is a film you didn't think we were going to get anything out of. No, no, no. And that's one of the ones that performing the best out of all of them. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I'm stoked. Uh, so yeah, if you guys are watching along with us, um, you can find George of the Jungle on Amazon Prime. You can find it on Vudu, Apple TV, Google Play, YouTube, or if you have a Disney Plus subscription, you can find it on Disney Plus. So if you're watching along with us next week, we will be watching George, George, George of the Jungle, strong as he can be. Ah, watch out for that tree. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I'm excited to get some Brendan Facer yeah. in my life. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much from both of us here at the What's About Fun Podcast. We will see you next time. Thank you so much. Adios. Bye.